day and welcome to Thanksgiving week. How many of you are excited for Thanksgiving? You okay? Good. We've. How many of you have started early? Now Wawa is not close to here, but I like to get the gobbler at Wawa. Has anyone ever done that? Does Sheets have that? See, this is why Wawa is better than Sheets. This is the this is the issue. But Thanksgiving food is awesome. We had Friendsgiving with some friends a couple weeks ago, so hopefully you're looking forward to a good Thanksgiving. My name's Corey. I get to be the lead pastor here at Grace Family, and it's awesome to be able to come and share with you this morning. And we're so thankful that you're willing to be here, and we're so thankful that you also uh, have just kind of followed our leadership and said, okay, we're going to wear masks. And we don't like that rule. I don't like that rule. Um, but it's just what we feel we have to do, and we want to include as many people in this space as we can and make as many people feel welcome as we can, and so that's where we're at. So we're just thankful to those of you who have kind of helped us out with that and your willingness to uh, abide by that and just help us make as many people feel welcome as possible. Last week, we started a new series that we were walking through, and we started to talk about these shared commitments that we have in our fellowship of churches. And so those shared commitments are things that we hold as a foundation for our faith. We believe that they should be a foundation for our church and a foundation for us as individuals as we grow uh, in our faith journey. And so let me just, we'll put those three things up here um, on the screen for you so you can remember what they are. The first one was truth, and so we said we believe the Bible and hold it as our authority. And so we talked last week about what we believe about the Bible. We talked about whether we can trust it. We talked about whether we believe that what it teaches is applicable for today and what that kind of looks like in our lives. The second thing we talked, we're going to talk about today is relationships. And the statement is this from our fellowship. Our churches care for one another in Christian love. Now, again, this isn't just talking about when we're thinking about church to church or what that looks like. But we also believe that that should be our attitude within our church towards each other. And so as we process that today, that's what we're going to think about and kind of see how we put that into context. The third thing, just to give you a preview for next week, is mission. And together we strive to accomplish the Great Commission, which is the mission that Jesus has given us. And so that's a preview into what we'll talk about next week and how we fulfill that mission and how we take that to the world around us. And I'm excited to dive into week two with you, whether you're sitting here in the room or you're watching on the live stream. Uh, I just want to pray before we get started this morning. Lord, we thank you again that we can come uh, sing to you. We can learn from your work. We can encourage one another. And that when we do that, you are here uh, in our presence and you want to be here. And you want us to grow and you want us to build our relationship with you. We ask that this morning as we look into your word that we would grow, that we would glean things from it that we can take and add to our week, that we can um, just live out and that it would be a reminder to us over the course of this week and the coming weeks um, as we think about what it looks like to be you to the community around us. We also thank you for all the things we have to be thankful for as we're, as we're in this Thanksgiving week. And we pray that that would be at the forefront of our hearts and minds, um, the things that you have blessed us with, not the things that we don't have. And so we just ask that that would be our attitude this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that is uh, something that comes up a decent amount in my preaching is I like to ask questions. And so the question I have today is what is your relationship with the church? Now, I started in this kind of space last week when we talked about Scripture, and I talked about how you could have a very different view of Scripture than another person sitting in this room or another person watching online. 
You could have grown up in a situation where you went to church all the time and you were always taught that scripture was true and your your parents taught you that, your pastors taught you that, your teachers taught you that, right? And it was just something that was there and you haven't necessarily moved from that stance. But you, there could be somebody else who was listening last week and they maybe were taught that the scriptures aren't true. They were literally taught the exact opposite. And so we have to kind of, everybody has an opinion about that, right? Everybody has to have an opinion. You really can't be neutral on that. The same thing is kind of true with church. And so when I ask, what is your relationship with the church? It could look much the same as your relationship with scripture. It could be a situation where, again, you've, you've gone to church as long as you can remember. There was never a time that you remember ever not being in church. Maybe you grew up at a church that had Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday evening, and there was prayer time on a certain morning, and it felt like every time the church was open, you were there, right? Or maybe you grew up not going to church. Maybe you're listening and you've not gone to church yet, right? You're just listening online. You're listening on the podcast, whatever. And you've not gone to church, but everybody has a stance on the church. You might be in favor of it. You might think it's a good thing. You might think it teaches young kids good things, or you could have a really bad relationship with church. It could have been a place where you were hurt. It could have been a place where somebody said something that hurt you or interacted with you in a way that hurts you, or maybe even there was abuse there. And so when we come to this idea of, of what is our relationship with the church, what are our biblical relationships supposed to look like, we recognize that there's a wide range of places that we could land on that spectrum. Here's a little bit of a different question, and this one is a little bit more pointed, especially if you have been in church for a while, but how did your relationship with the church change in March of this year? I remember it was March 12th. It was the day before my wife's birthday. And all of a sudden it was, we have to shut everything down. So we have to replan Becca's 30th birthday this year because we didn't get to celebrate it this past year. <laughs> She's nodding at me, so I remember. All of a sudden things change, right? Things close down, large gatherings, not, not great. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to you know, be quarantined from each other. Again, we all thought this was hopefully going to be over in a few months at least, right? And so we had to change the way we thought about it. And maybe if you're honest, and I'll be honest, I was a little bit in this camp too, you realized something very different about church in March and April. And that was church takes a lot of time sometimes. You have to, you have to get up early, maybe. You have to get here early if you're helping to lead something or put something together or, or you're helping to get ready. Then you're here and maybe you're serving during the service and, you're, and things are going on and you're... Then you're here maybe after talking to friends, somebody invites you to lunch, and all of a sudden church becomes a four to five to six hour thing every Sunday. And all of a sudden in March, what changed was it was 45 minutes to an hour and you could lay in bed and drink coffee during church. And some of us were like, I kind of like this, right? I don't have to get up as early. I don't have to put on real clothes. I don't have to interact with people. I don't have to get my kids up and out of the house and to where they need to go and figure that and then get them and wrangle. You know what I mean? Like there was just pieces of that that were kind of nice if we were honest with ourselves. But this is the tension that we live in in the church today where we've recognized and people that maybe would have never done church online had to. And we realized the benefits of it. And we realize that there are different ways in which we can be the church and interact with the church than just being here on a Sunday morning. And so the question is, 
as we walk through this tension of what does the church look like, not just for us, right, at Grace Family, but the church in America, the church as a whole in the world, how do we come out of that? And what do our relationships have to do with that situation? And what, do, what should they look like in order to point us in a positive direction? You know, when we think about the church, um, there's a passage in Scripture that we go to a lot because it's kind of the foundation of what we believe the church should look like. And before COVID, this was what we would go to. We were like, what should church look like? It was kind of just this passage. And this passage is in Acts chapter 2. And it, you can go there in your Bibles if you'd like. You can turn on your phone and go there, or we'll put the words up on the screen here for you. And Acts is not, of course, A-X-E, right? It's A-C-T-S. And the point of that is it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's what the disciples of Jesus did after he was gone. So if you're not familiar with Scripture, Jesus has already come. He's already lived. He's already died, and he rose again, and he has ascended into heaven. He's out. And so this is the way that the early group of followers of Jesus are living, are interacting after Jesus is actually gone. We'll start in verses 42 and 43. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. The next one. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. We're going to go two more verses. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So when we look at these verses, we see the way the early church interacted with each other. And what we notice is that there was a great sense of community, right? If I had a need, you met it, if you could. If you had a need, I met it, if I could. They were together on a daily basis, and they would interact with one another, and they would worship together, and they would eat meals together. And everything they did was connected to this body of believers very early on in the church. And I don't know about you, but I read this passage a little bit differently than I did a few years ago or a few months ago. Some things stand out to me. There's three things that stand out to me in particular. The first thing is that they ate meals together. Does anyone process things like this in Scripture differently today? Like, I see that and I go, oh boy, I hope they really knew the people they were eating with. They were allowed to do that, right? It's just where my mind goes. They met together in one place. Now, we're meeting together in one place, but of course we're wearing masks. So like you filter that through, were they wearing masks? They shared everything they had. Did they hand sanitize before they shared everything they had, right? I don't know if this has happened to you, but we were watching a movie um, fairly early on. And, and at one point, just something in my mind clicked and I went, they're not wearing masks. And I had to like remember like, oh, right, there was a time where this didn't happen. And it happened to my three-year-old. We were watching a show with her just a couple weeks ago. And she, in the middle of watching the show, there's no lead-in. She just goes, is the virus gone? And we said, no. Why? And she said, they're not wearing masks, right? We had to walk through. This was filmed a year ago. They don't have them. And so all of a sudden, the things that we used to know as normal, as just a part of the everyday process, or we wouldn't even think twice about, we have to think differently about. And this has impacted the way that we do church. It's impacted the way that we interact. It's impacted the way that we have to process what's going on, right? Even just things like 
meals together. We're not letting you on Tuesday night come and put your grubby hands in all the s'more stuff and give everybody germs, right? We're handing them to you. We have to think about this stuff. It's kind of crazy. And so what do we do as the church, as we process this, as we continue to try and be the body of Christ, and what does it look like as we hopefully come out of it? One of the things that we have in common with the early church is that the early church had just walked through trauma. It's a very... It's a different time, but some of the same things happened to them. You see, when Jesus started to do his ministry, he was 30 years old, and he just started to travel all over, and he would teach, and he would do miracles, and he would feed people for free. And so when you're a good teacher, and you can feed people for free, and you can do miracles, a bunch of people come, right? And so they just started following him. And what we see in the Gospels is that everywhere that Jesus went, he just had a crowd of people around him. And it's seemingly every day that crowd grew and grew and grew. And there were people that liked him. There were people that didn't like him. There were people that just wanted free food. And they would just come and they would follow him everywhere. We even have stories in scripture where Jesus needed to go away. He had to go away to sleep. He had to go away to pray. He said, I just need to get away from people for a while. And as that was going on, as there was just crowds and crowds of people, everything on one day changed. Because Jesus was arrested and he was killed. The next day, the crowds were gone. There was no one to gather around anymore. There was no one who was leading them. And even the disciples and his closest followers were hiding because they thought these people that killed Jesus may come and kill us too. And so in one day, all of what they knew of the way that they interacted as a group changed. Now, for them, it was great because Jesus came back three days later and everything went back kind of to normal. Unfortunately for us, that's not what happened, right? We're still here. But what we learn from the church and what we learn through church history, if we tease out the book of Acts and we even go beyond that, is that the church grew at an astronomical rate over the next couple of hundred years. Even though two groups of people, the Romans and the Jews, were actually trying to stop them from becoming, from growing and from adding to their numbers, they continued to grow and grow and grow. And the question that we have to ask is what caused that growth? Why were they able to continue to grow and come out of this trauma and to become more, more incredible church than they could have ever been even when Jesus was on the planet? And what we have to do, I think, as individuals— is it's time for us to define the relationship that we're going to have with church. Have you ever had to have this conversation with somebody? Like maybe you started to date and you're just kind of hanging out and there's nothing real serious. And then you get to the point where you're like, okay, like, are we making a commitment here? Usually the guy is trying to figure out if he's been stuck in the friend zone or not, or whether this is actually going to go somewhere. And so they, you have this conversation and the conversation is, are we making a commitment to one another? Am I going to now make decisions based on what is true of you and I, or am I making decisions based on what's true of me? And what we have to do, especially if we're followers of Jesus, is we have to define the relationship that we're going to have with church, with the people that are around us in our local church, with the way that we interact with our church as a whole, and say, what am I making decisions based on a commitment that I've made to be part of 
the local church? Is that what I'm going to do? Or, because it's become very easy, am I going to just kind of be a passive follower? But if you are a follower of Jesus, the reality is Jesus defines our relationship. If I'm a follower of Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus defines our relationship. He tells us what that's supposed to look like. And so I want to take us to a really cool passage um, that I'm really excited to show you guys. And, and when we talked about Scripture last week, we talked about how we trust the Bible, we know that it's true, we, we follow what it says. And what I didn't talk about last week was the fact that when we look at Scripture, you and I are in Scripture. Now, your name is not in there, right? But the reality is there are times in Scripture that talk about and impact us today. And Jesus was alluding to us today. And so one of those places is John 17, 20 to 21. Actually, it's 20 to 23, I think is what I'm going to read to. I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you. It says this, my prayer is not for them alone. So Jesus is talking here and he's praying and he's got disciples around him and followers around him. And what he's saying here is my prayer is not just for them, not just for the people that are physically surrounding me right now. What he says is, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. There we are. Because the disciples would take the message of Jesus and they would share it with someone and share it with someone and share it with someone and share it with someone. And somewhere along the line, you were sitting in a room in Grace Family Church and someone sharing it with you. And we're sharing this message today. And so Jesus is praying not just for the disciples or the followers that were right there with him. He's praying for the church as a whole as it will exist throughout time for everyone that's ever been introduced to Jesus ever. And he prays for something very specific in this verse. It says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they, they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's one way that Jesus prays for us to be. There's one specific thing that he prays for us, and that is for our relationship to be defined by unity. That's what Jesus prays for, that all of the believers— that then all of the churches that claim to be followers of Jesus for the whole future, that we would be unified. That's the goal. And so for us, as we think about that, the question is, what does that look like? Are we unified with others? And why does Jesus say this? Well, I think he says it for three things, and these are there in the passage as well. The first reason is that unity reflects Jesus. Jesus is talking to God in this, and God the Father in this passage, and he says, you and I are one. So if the people that are following me are one, it's going to reflect the relationship that I have with you and the way that Jesus submits to the Father and does what he's asked him to do. So it reflects Jesus. The second thing is unity allows others to see Jesus in us. So when we reflect Jesus, then others will see him. This is all done by the way that we're unified with one another. And then the last thing is unity shows the Father's love. This is how much Jesus the Son and God the Father were unified. When God the Father looked at Jesus and said, 
the way for us to reconcile them to us is for you to go to earth, to live as a human, and to die. And Jesus' answer was, not my will, but yours be done. That's the unity that he had with the Father. He was willing to do whatever it took to reach people with the salvation that he had to offer. And what Jesus is telling us in, that, in this passage is that we need to have that same unity and that same goal. Now, thinking about the tension that we see today in the church, I think this is very important that we say, unity does not mean same location. It doesn't mean same location. So if you're sitting in the room right now, we're so thankful to have you. If you're watching online, we're so thankful to have you. One of you, the groups of one of you, are not more unified with Grace Family than the other. Because unity doesn't depend on location, right? Jesus doesn't talk about location, and Jesus doesn't talk about just one body of believers either. He's talking about all believers ever. So guess what? We're supposed to be unified with people across the world in what we're doing and how we do it. Unity is talking about a mindset. And so this is where we go back to the idea of define the relationship, right? What does Jesus say? We have to have that unified relationship with the rest of the church body locally and to our best ability. We have that with other churches in our area, in our state, and throughout the world as well. And so as we're walking through this time of like, we ask this question, like, does online church count? Yes, of course it counts. But it's up to us to kind of define the relationship and say, am I buying into what Jesus has said my relationship is supposed to be with the church? Is my mindset what it's supposed to be? Not is my location correct, necessarily. It's the mindset that we have. The last question I want to tackle today, um, and I've heard this from many people throughout the years, and it's this question, why does church matter? Why is church so important? And to be honest, as a, as a pastor, I can get a lot of questions about this. And pastors can take a lot of heat for this too. Because sometimes what it seems like pastors do is we stand up here, we tell you what to do, we ask for your money, right? And so people see that and they go, why does it even matter? I can follow Jesus and not be part of the church. I don't need the church. I just follow Jesus. It's all I need to do. But here's my challenge to that. And honestly, I, that sentence doesn't make any sense to me. Because if we look at just the two passages that we've talked about today, we look at what Jesus told the disciples to do, right? Right before he ascends, and we'll talk about this next week, he says, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in my name. So that was their goal. Fast forward just a few chapters in Scripture. Their way of doing that is what we read in Acts chapter 2. It was to gather together. It was to eat meals together. It was to fellowship. It was to pray together. It was to learn together. It was to worship together. It was to live life together as the church in a unified way. That was the way the disciples understood Jesus' command to live in community as followers of Jesus. So if we look at Jesus and we say, I'll follow you, but I'm staying away from the church, because that was a man-made thing. Well, Jesus was 100% man, so I guess he was, it was a man-made thing. But it was something that Jesus instituted and that the disciples followed. The church is the way that we as 
followers of Jesus stay unified with one another. And it's the way that we come together and we encourage one another. Let me give you this example too. Over the course of time in your life and over the course of time in my life, we may have known people who had certain addictions. There could be, it could be substance addictions. It could be addictions to things on the internet. I've even known teenagers who are addicted to video games, right? It just, that's just true. Some of you just looked around the room. I don't know what to do with that, right? <laughs> but let me be really honest with you. And if we're honest with ourselves, you and I are all addicts. We're all addicted to ourselves. And what we make choices about are, are, is our comfort, is what we want to do, is what we feel is right. And we have to address that at times because, honestly, that's a product of our sin nature. And some of our temptations are simply to do what feels most comfortable or what makes us feel the best. What we have to walk through is this idea that when we come back to church, when we can commit to being here and commit to being unified with one another, what it does for us is continues to make ourselves look outside of our own selves and look to others. Because when you walked into church today, it wasn't just about you. It was about other people. It causes us to not look just at ourselves. It causes us to look at being an encouragement, to caring for other people, to praying for other people, to being there when they need us. And guess what that does? It unifies us. As long as our church is about me or about the people sitting in this room, we're not going to reach the people outside of it. But when we unify ourselves and we call each other to be together on this goal to reach people for Jesus, that's when we know we're going to reach people that are outside our walls. And so the way that I want to land today before I, I go back to just two verses really quickly is that the unity of the church will bring others into a relationship with Jesus. The unity of the church will bring others into a relationship with Jesus. Let me show you two verses, and we, we've read them already, but I just want to highlight them one more time. In Acts 2, verse 47, it says, All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So because of their fellowship, more people were getting saved. John 17, 23, So that they may be brought to complete Unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, when we look around, and I'm not big on like putting culture down and that kind of thing, but when we look around and like you turn on the news, you get on social media, there's a lot of disconnect happening. There's a lot of, there's not a lot of unity that's highlighted. It's a lot of like, just look at the differences we have. And I don't know about you, but when I look at church, one of the things I want more than anything is a group of people that's unified, where our, our differences are not the things that are highlighted, that our unity is what's highlighted. And if we can go to people that are living in the world around us and we say, we have a group of people that we're a part of and we care and we love one another and it doesn't matter if we disagree on certain topics, what matters is we agree on the main topic, and that's Jesus, and we just love and care and encourage one another, I think that's appealing to a lot of people. 
And I think that's the type of place that you want to be a part of as well. And that's the way that we invite others to be followers of Jesus. Now, it takes that personal connection. We're going to talk about that next week. We have, to li- we have to spell the gospel out for people. But when there's a place to belong, a place for people to come together and to be encouraged and to be cared for and to be loved on and to be prayed for, that's something that we can draw people to. And one of my, my prayers for us as Grace Family Church is that we would be a group of unified people. No matter where we stand on certain topics that could divide us, that we would be unified on the topic that matters, and that would trump everything, and that's that we're committed to following Jesus. And when that's our commitment, that's what's going to keep us going. That's what's going to draw other people to want to be a part of what's here. And so the question, right, what do I do with this? Because this is a big, it's kind of a big topic, right? We can talk about the unity of the church. I'm like, yes, that's it. But then we say, okay, what do I do? How do I do that practically? How do I go home today and do that? Well, here's the challenge. And part of the challenge for us too is we have to be a little bit more intentional about it because there are those barriers that we have to understand. And those barriers that are just frustrating right now. And so here's my challenge, okay? And you see what you can do with it this week. My challenge to you would be to reach out to somebody who is a believer could be a part of this church, could be a part of another church, but not living in your house, okay? So reaching out to somebody that you don't see every single day and just encourage them in some way. Write them a note. Text them. Offer to grab coffee. Offer to hang out on their lawn, if that's what you're okay with doing, right? And just say, hey, I prayed for you. I'm here. You're going through this. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. I just want you to know if you need something, I'm there. I want you to do that with a non-believer and a believer this week. You might say, well, why? Well, when we get interaction like that and we're encouraged by somebody else, does it unify us with them? Absolutely. When that person comes and asks you if you'll help them do something, your answer is way more likely to be yes, right? Because they encouraged you. So you want to encourage them. It builds that unity. And when we're willing to do that with people that are believers, we build the church. And when we're willing to do it with people who are non-believers as well, we introduce them to Jesus. Because the unity that we're trying to show to them shows them Jesus. That's the challenge I have for us this week. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, this idea of unity and this idea of being a church that is more, it cares more about uh, what's most important rather than the differences we may have can be really difficult at times. It can be really difficult from a perspective of we're not all in the same room either. And so we ask that you would give us wisdom as your followers today as we try and be a unified church, as we try and be a body of believers who is defined by the way that we come together and not by the way that we separate. We ask that you would help us to be intentional about the ways that we reach out and encourage one another and encourage people who aren't followers of you because it's just different in the way we need to do it today. 
And we ask that the things that are trivial, when we look at the real things that matter, that they wouldn't divide us, but that we would be willing to unify together and come under the one goal of reaching people with the good news of the gospel. And we ask that that would define Grace Family Church this year and the next year and again next year and every year after that. In Jesus' name.